0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. If the Lord will help me tonight, I want to minister on the thought of defeating anxiety. And I will do my very best to share with you the thing that God has spoke to my heart and what he's speaking to me in this time of which we live. And we live in a time where people are battling anxiety. and. Um, If we had a time to run a whole series on this, I'm sure we would pack the house every, every service on how do we deal with anxious thoughts and anxiety and all of the things that attack us. And it's important that we understand how to defeat anxiety because many of us, and I know certain families, and I don't tell people's business, but I know there are among us, even if it's unspoken, People that are going through anxious moments and times in their life. Maybe things that you can't talk to anybody about. Maybe you don't feel comfortable sharing. You don't feel like you can confide in anyone. And there you are at work and you're stressed out and you're overwhelmed. You're in your house, you're ready to pull your hair out, and you're just stressed. Well, I have a word for you tonight. I feel like be from the Lord. And I want you to turn with me to the New Testament, to the book of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, those of you that are watching online, we say thank you for being with us in attendance online as well. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 is the main scripture that I want to read from tonight, Paul's writing to the church in Philippi, which is very applicable to you and I tonight about anxiousness, and how to get a breakthrough. And Paul said it like this, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. I grew up in a church that used to have unspoken prayer requests. And they'd say all unspoken by the raising of the hand. And people would raise their hand. And there's nothing wrong with that except for the fact nowhere does the Bible mention an unspoken request. The Bible said, let your requests be known. It didn't say, let gossip be known. It didn't say, tell and tattle. didn't say, tattle, let that be known. It just said, let your requests be known unto who? Unto God. And there are times that you don't have the confidence may be in those around you to be able to express your request. And we all know that you have to cry out to God. The psalmist said, I cried out to God and he heard me. And when you cry out to the Lord, he will hear you. And so the Bible teaches us to let our requests be made known unto him. But he said, be careful for nothing. And then he talked to us about three different ways of which to let those requests And those petitions come. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for your word. It's already anointed, but we need an anointed ear to hear it. Change us, do a work in us so you can do a work through us. Thank you for what you are allowing us to do in your precious name. And we give you all praise glory and honor. And the church would say amen Amen. and amen. Say this with me, defeating defeating anxiety. Say it to your neighbor. Say defeating anxiety. I want to ask you a question as we start into this message and this study tonight out of this passage. What good is it if all of the things you've attained in your life, you can't enjoy any of it because you're worried about losing it? You prayed that somebody would come into your life that loves you, but you can't enjoy the love because you're worried about losing them. And you maybe don't even trust what God has done. And perhaps you have tried to keep everything to yourself. And you don't think that God who was God enough to give it to you is God enough to help you keep it. So you find yourself worried. The Bible teaches us that we're to be anxious for nothing. My pastor taught me many years ago to take the word worry out of my vocabulary and replace it with maybe the thought of I'm concerned. It sounds a whole lot more polite, come on somebody, than to say I'm worried. Mm -hmm. And so we find ourselves in a place where we worry over stuff that God never intended for us to lose sleep over. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of how many of us have lost sleep over stuff, lost sleep over something we thought was going to happen that never did happen. And I don't know who I'm preaching to or teaching to tonight, but I'm going to keep walking in this path for a little while till we nail it down. The Bible said, be careful for nothing. Everyone say nothing. And then he said, but in everything, say everything. And he says in this particular passage that you and I have three weapons that you can use against anxiety, three weapons that you can fortify yourself with that will help you overcome and not be a victim of worry and defeat and anxious thoughts that steal your sleep and rob you of your peace. And I believe that God has us here tonight for this particular message. And he says this, that anxiety wins when you shut up. Say that with me. Anxiety wins when you shut up. The three weapons that Paul says to us in verse 6, when he says that prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving All three of those require us to speak. (laughs) So as long as we suffer in silence, the enemy wins. So I say it's okay to talk. It's okay to voice your concern. It's okay to be able to vent it out in the appropriate place and the appropriate channels. Paul said, I give you three weapons and all of them require your mouth. Now look over to your neighbor and say, you've been using your mouth a lot lately. <laughs> this will be a good time to use it as God's weapon. <laughs> for all of us, he says that everything that he gave us in chapter 4, verse 6 requires your mouth. And for them to materialize, here's the first weapon he gives you. He says, I give you prayer. Everyone say prayer. You get prayer, number one, to fight off the anxiety that attacks your mind and your spirit. I'll give you prayer to not only fight it off with, I'll give you what you stop doing. I will cause you to pray again because maybe you have let up in your prayer life. You're still dancing at church, but you have no prayer life. <laughs> You dance because the music is good, but you have no prayer life. You dance because you're part of the excitement and the atmosphere, but you got a better praise life than you have of a prayer life. Can I teach tonight? And therefore, because we have more praise than we have prayer, we don't have the peace we desire because we don't pray. Are you hearing me? You dance, but you have no peace. I've seen people shout, run the aisles, and get hooping and hollering and exciting, and I'm thankful for all of that. I enjoy it myself. But you have to land back on something. And one of the things that you have to land back on is the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing of the Word of God. And so when I have the shout, I also need the Word of God to land on. I can't just be one of them Christians that's hooping and shouting and carrying on, but I don't live in peace, and I don't live in victory. I have to to be hyped up to feel like I'm even anywhere close to where God wants me to be. Are you hearing me? And so we dance, but we have no peace. We sing songs, but we have no peace. We wave our arms when they tell us to. We're up and down, and we go through spiritual calisthenics, but we've lost our prayer life. Let me preach in here a little bit. I'm a little old school, if you will. And I don't mind being labeled old school, not at all. I kind of like it. I'm not afraid when you call me old school. <laughs> uh, in fact, I would wear it as a badge of honor to someone to say, well, he, he's old school. Well, I, I was old school when I was young. <laughs> I was old school when I was in my youth. And, and and I learned as a young person how to pray. My mom and dad would kneel down at a couch or around the bed before night. We'd go to bed and we would pray and we would pray earnestly. And my mom and dad came up in the Baptist church and they were praying people. And came on into Pentecost and continued that prayer life. And and sometimes I'd be so tired and yawning and wishing they'd stop praying so I could uh, uh, go to bed because I was tired. But there was something about being in the atmosphere of prayer that changed the dynamics of my life and my expectation of God. I began to hear things in the spirit. I began to witness the power of God in our family. I began to see the miracle power of God and the peace that came into our life in our in our home. I learned how to pray from my mom and dad. I learned how to pray from the senior adults, the elder saints that were in our church. I never forget my mom. She wasn't a beautician, but she used to do hair every Thursday or Friday for a lady by the name of Lucille Dobbins. And Sister Dobbins was from the old church, and she wore her hair real high. It's like three stories high. I mean, it was real high. And it's almost like my mom would use this old, if anybody remember, final net. It was a hairspray that... Taste you? They'd spray it in the house. It would get in your mouth. It was so strong and it had so much alcohol in it. Come on, somebody! And and she would use cans of Aquanet and and bobby pins. And she would get Sister Dobbins' hair set for the weekend. She would work on it on a Friday, and then Sister Dobbins would wrap it up so that on Sunday, when she got up for church, her her hair would still be intact and she could uh, go on in and then begin to shout and 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 I come from a church where they would do like this and they start shaking and they start praising and and bobby pins start flying out of people's ha- it was dangerous in our church I mean you had to learn how to dodge shrapnel in our church I mean bobby pins were flying here and there and there wasn't a service until somebody uh, uh, shouted their hair down you know what I'm talking about where every bobby pin fell out and they looked like they've been running over. You know, they look like they've been mugged on the street. That's how they look. Anybody going to say amen? I came up in that. I came up in that. But them old time saints would get to praying and, and the power of God would begin to move and they didn't wait on anybody to institute prayer. They didn't wait on anybody to initiate it. They didn't wait on this brother over here to lead out or this sister over here to get loud. They just all started praying and their voices began to blend and that's where I learned to pray. That how I got in tune and in touch with God and began to hear God move and speak and they taught me things like plead the blood and they taught me things like Satan the blood is against you oh can I just talk a little bit here tonight and they would say Satan the blood is against you and as a child I didn't always know what that meant and they say, I plead the blood I plead the blood somebody would come down to the altar for deliverance and they'd gather around and say I plead the blood of Jesus I plead the blood of Jesus and I didn't even really know how to pray but I start saying it like then I plead the blood of Jesus. I watched a little young lady up here on the front tonight when they were singing hello peace, hello love, hello joy, hello hope and she had her arms raised and she was going after it and praising God. That's how I was as a young person watching the old time saints. Can I preach tonight to some old time? Can I preach to the young time? Can I preach to the middle time, I want you to understand that we learned how to pray because somebody taught us how to communicate with God. And you don't hear many people today talking about pleading the blood anymore. You don't hear many people using that in their language about the Satan, the blood is against you. We have used we used to pray in prayer meetings. My God, we used to come for prayer and we would stay in the altar for hours and praying. Nobody was preaching. Nobody was singing. Nobody was playing. Everybody was praying. And we'd come to church to pray. And I thought about the scripture in 2 Chronicles 7 and 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and turn and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. He said, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. If my people, which are called by my name, tell your neighbor, you gotta open your mouth. You gotta open your mouth and pray. When all hell is breaking loose, open your mouth. When the enemy comes in like a flood, open your mouth. When you wake up with a cold sweat, open up your mouth. I've given you power to defeat anxiety. You gotta pray. Say it out loud. I need to pray. I need to pray. I pray when I'm worried. I pray when I'm stressed out. I pray when I'm hypertensive. I pray when I'm nervous. I pray when I'm shaking. I pray when I get the sweat. You pray when you're slapping your dog and kicking your cat. You need to pray. I know it's old school. I know you want me to give you deep revelation so you can enter in with Yahweh, but you just got to pray. Oh, Pastor I need to see the pastor. You don't need to see the pastor. Pray. Look over your glasses and somebody say, you just need to pray. Sure enough, you need to pray. Prayer. Where's prayer gone? We talk a big talk and God's given us all these prophetic words and have no prayer life. We talk to Facebook more than we talk to God. (laughs) That was for free. So prayer is a weapon. And the old time saints taught us how to pray. The second weapon is supplication. Supplication is in the prayer family. But supplication is a unique kind of prayer. And let me describe it like this. Supplication, when when you supplicate, (laughs) you lay prostrate before God. Because supplication is an act of getting down. It's the act of lowering yourself. It's the act of prostrating yourself in the presence of God. In other words, when we are in supplication, Supplication is an evidence of humility that we are willing to humble ourselves down in the presence of God and supplicate to Him. When you say, God, this is just too much, I got to turn this over to you, God, and you're so broken that you can't get low enough. So the prayer of supplication is you get low down and say, God, I'm turning Johnny over to you. I'm turning Susie over to you, God. It's just too big for me. It's just more than I can handle, so I got to turn it over to you. And when you are in supplication mode, that's when you begin to admit your situation and your limitation. Because when I supplicate with God, it's, I've reached a place where now I lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep, ain't going to cut it. Oh, oh no. Uh, God is good. God is great. <laughs> Pass the plate. That's not going to cut it. The kind of prayer of supplication is when I realize my own limitation and I have to get down with him. And I'm not smart enough for the situation I'm in. I'm not educated enough to deal with the situation. I'm, I'm out of ideas. I'm out of tricks. I'm out of options. All I can do is supplicate. I'm gonna turn it over to a higher power. God, the mortgage is yours. God, the marriage is yours. God, the, the, the place of employment is yours. God, it's too big for me. I'm going to turn it over to you. And so I bow my knee and I humble myself and I lower down and begin to supplicate with him. In other words, I reach a place where I get rid of my pride. And when you get rid of your pride... You'll get rid of your problem, my God, because pride is a, is a killer of people. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. They used to tell me, stay humble so you don't stumble, to, to remain in a place of great contrition and great humility. And that when you reach a place of supplication, that means every bit of pride that you prided yourself in fixing it. You prided yourself in working it out. You prided yourself in your own achievements. You prided yourself in your own bank account, in your own money. But I'm telling you, as you watch the stock market today, it could be here today, and it could be gone tomorrow. And, and so we do not lay up in store and treasures for things of this earth, but we lay up treasures in heaven, where the moth and the and the rust cannot corrode it, and it cannot be taken away from us. When you reach a place of supplication, it's where you have come emptied out of your own uh, your own uh, idea and your own human theologies of how you think you're going to do it. Remember what that scripture said in Second Chronicles seven. 14 That if we humble ourselves, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. When I'm in a place of prayerful supplication, what I'm saying is the battle. Is not mine but the battle belongs to the Lord and I surrender it to him you see the enemy has been has been moving the pieces on my chessboard all around but the opponent is really not me the guy sitting on the other side of the chessboard is actually God that the enemy is trying to play games with come on somebody because the battle is not mine the battle belongs to to the Lord and you may move me this way or move me that way but the battle is not mine it belongs to God I have come to a place of supplication in my life that I have said to God I I don't know what's going to happen I may not like what happens but I put my trust in you I don't even have to think about the enemy because God has a strategy that he'll turn it for my good and for his glory. I humble myself to the strategy and the wisdom of God who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will and if he doesn't get me out of it he's going to bless me through it because that's the God I have submitted myself to. I've been through tough times myself. I don't stand up here trying to portray a picture of perfect life, because it's not. I've had to fight hell, just like y'all. And I remember one season where my emotions were crushed. I remember a season where my nerves were fried, that even a loud noise would make me jump. I was so on edge Y'all don't want to talk to me there. The enemy was doing everything he could to destroy us, to destroy me. And I had conversations with God. I remember one night that I told God, I don't like this one bit. Where are you? This is not righteous. And this is not right. I hate this. It is painful. It is hurting. It's horrific, God. Why are you allowing this difficulty in my life? And you may be here tonight and you've never been to that place. But I promise you at some point in your life, you will come to a place where you will call to God and say, why God? I don't understand this. And I remember laying on the floor, Pastor, in my bedroom and I could not sleep. I slipped out of bed because Pastor Bev was laying next to me and I could not sleep and I was restless and I got down on the floor next to the bed in our bedroom and I said to God, God, if you have allowed me to go through this even though this is hard and and even though I certainly wouldn't have picked this for myself, then if you have allowed me to go through this, then I know somehow you're gonna make a way when there seems to be no way. I had to remind myself that he is for me and not against me. That God can turn it for my good and he can get the glory where my real church at tonight. I had to supplicate myself. I had to supplicate. I had to get down low and I threw myself on the mercy of the court. I threw myself on the mercy of God and said, it's in your hands, God. And one of the things that I learned during that season is you can only pray like that when you know who God is in you, when you know who he is inside of you. You can pray a prayer that says, God, I turn it over to you. I don't understand, Sister Shy. I don't understand why they came like in my life but I do know that I serve a God who has all power let me preach here on a teaching Wednesday and tell you he is in control and sometimes you just gotta get down low and say God I gotta give it to you God I gotta turn it over to you this is too big for me but I supplicate and God said because you got down low and you supplicate I gave you a weapon to enter into my presence. You can't pray like that until you know who God is in you. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. You gotta have a rock in you. That even if the enemy digs down, he can only go so far till he starts scraping the rock. (laughs) And then when he gets to that place of resistance that says, I don't care what you do, devil. I'm not going to go lower than this. The most you will ever be able to do is knock me down to my knees, my God. The most you will ever be able to do is get me to a place of prayer and supplication. But prayer is my weapon and posture of supplication. will defeat the enemy every time. Because God said, if you humble yourself, I will exalt you in due time. Amen. You gotta learn to walk in humility because humility will lift you. Not false humility where you go around and tell everybody you're humble. If you gotta tell somebody you're humble, you're not humble. It's like a singing group I heard of. They called themselves the humble heirs. The humble heirs you got to call yourself humble. You probably aren't. Because you can develop a false humility that is not the posture of supplication. Hmm. I don't have time to teach on that. The third thing that he said I want to give you in verse 6 is thankfulness. Say prayer, Prayer. supplication, supplication, and thankfulness. Anytime that terrorist begins to attack you, you start counting your blessings. Start rehearsing all the many things that God did for you. Start remembering and recognizing everything that he's threatening you with. God says, I already gave you. (laughs) He couldn't threaten to steal it, if it wasn't mine in the first place. So he only threatens to take what God said is already mine. So stand right in the middle of it, of what he's trying to steal, and start thanking God for it. Mm, I want to thank you for my marriage, God. I want to thank you for the... I do, God. I want to thank you for the bliss God. I want to thank you for the blessing, God. I want to thank you for my house. I want to thank you for my automobile. I want to thank you for my washing machine. <laughs> I want to thank you for my furnace, come on, somebody, and start praising God. I, from what the enemy is trying to steal, I just start thanking God for it in the middle of it. I know it don't look like much. It may just be two uh, fish and five loaves, but if I lift it up and say thank you, then God has the ability to multiply. Can I get a witness from somebody that has found Him to multiply? Put bread on your table. Put food in your cupboard. I have to praise him in the middle of it. Father, I thank you. Thank him for the job you don't like. Thank him for the people who are working on your last nerve. You see, brothers and sisters, your enemy is using people because he's trying to affect your attitude. He wants you to be miserable. He can't stop you from being blessed. I wish I could preach tonight. He, He can't stop you from being blessed. The Bible teaches that he cannot curse what God has blessed he can't stop you from being blessed he wants to stop you from enjoying the blessing that God gave you and so when anxiety attacks you add prayer supplication and Thanksgiving now that your attitude is right Russell And you're not frantic, and you're not fearful, and you're not stressed out, and you're not approaching me in the state of panic, he said, now we can talk about it. Now, let your requests be known. Let your requests be known unto God in verse 6. Because God is saying to us, I can't talk to you while you're hysterical or historical. So we're going to use prayer and we're going to use supplication and we're going to use thanksgiving. And then he says, Now let your requests be made known. I don't want you talking to me out of a place of anxiety. Come on, let me teach here. God's saying, I don't want you talking to me out of a place of hysteria. I don't want you talking to me out of your moodiness. I don't want you talking to me out of your bitterness. I don't want you to approach me in a panic like you're about to go down on the Titanic. I want you to come to me with enough confidence that you know that I'm enough. God said, get in my face and tell me. (laughs) Tell me I'm enough. I'm enough for cancer. I'm enough for diabetes. I'm enough for anxiety and stress. And then he says in verse 7, when you have talked to me in that manner, then the peace of God which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to get this real good. The peace of God, that's not your peace. The word peace is not the word we hinge on in this verse. It's the word of The big word is of. It's not your peace. It's the peace of God. It's his peace. Mm. That means peace originates from him who is known as the prince of peace. And you will never have peace until you reconcile your life to the prince of peace. Peace comes from just hanging around God. You ever been around people that just—I mean, just being around them lifts you up. I want to ride in their car because I know if I get in their car, they're going to have gospel music playing. I won't have to be huffing any uh, weed. (laughs) There won't be no gossip going on in that automobile. They want to be no free, uh, lubricated prayer requests in the form of gossip. I'm just telling you this so you know how to pray. No, you a gossip. You talk too much. I don't know who that was for, but I felt, a, I felt a zing on that one. Hang around people who are peaceful, they'll lift you up. Hang around people who have peace. They don't live in gossip. They don't live in contention. They don't walk in drama. I don't want to hear it. And it's not natural for us because we're bent towards gossip. Somebody call you and say, girl, I got something to tell you. You're like, lay it on me, string bean. You want to know it all. It's not our, our order to be at peace a lot. It's not even our natural personality. It's not even the way we handle real life. So you have to get the peace of God. Not your peace. Because you could run out of yours. (laughs) Have you ever run out of your own? But his peace. The peace of God. Say peace of God. I have to have the peace of God because then I can say, the world didn't give it to me. Anybody remember the song? And the world can't take it away. The world didn't give it to me, and the world can't take it away. So I have to get something that is not even of mine. I, 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 before I close, I want to go to another scripture. Can I show you another scripture? This scripture, I absolutely love it. It's in 1 Kings 19. Go with me to 1 Kings 19 in the Old Testament. We're going to close in this passage. But not until you get the peace of God. And we'll stay here all night until somebody gets the peace of God. So if you're going to pray, you better do it quick. (laughs) We're going to kill anxiety tonight. 1 Kings 19, verse 1, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Now stop there for a minute and look at that because Ahab has talked to his wicked, controlling wife Jezebel and told her about Elijah. And Elijah was nowhere around when the conversation took place, but the terrorism doesn't work if you don't hear about it. Terrorism doesn't work if you don't hear about it. So the media has to make sure you, even if it's not true, so that your heart can be gripped and you can say, what are we going to do? Ahab talks to Jezebel and word gets back. How do we know? Look at verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger. Underline that word messenger in your Bible. He, Jezebel sends a messenger unto Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow this time. In 24 hours... I'm going to kill you. I'm going to tear you up. I'm going to get you. (laughs) I'm going to bankrupt you. Let me preach to somebody. I'm going to make you homeless. Let me preach to somebody. You're going to die a terrible death. You're not going to live past 48 years old. Hmm. Hmm. And the terrorists... We'll send a messenger to tell you, you're never this. You're never going to do this. You're never going to do that. I'm going to get you. By this time tomorrow, I'm, I, I, I'm going to clock on it. I'm going to kill you within the next 24 hours. But the threat doesn't work if Elijah doesn't hear about it. Mm. Because the threat is nothing unless the threat has a messenger. And there's one in every church. And there's one in every family. (laughs) And there's one in every place of employment. Someone who's always carrying the news. Woo, it's quiet in here. There's one in every bunch. Terrorism don't work if you don't hear about it. Mm. So there will always be somebody who makes sure you hear about what could have happened, what would have happened, what might happen. And then in verse 3, when he saw that he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. Now, now Elijah has gotten word from the terrorists. <laughs> and he starts running for his life. And when he comes to Beersheba, he leaves his servant there. Because anxiety will always put you in a place of isolation. Don't nobody talk to me. Don't nobody call me. I'm going to stay up in this bed. I'm going to keep the covers over my head. I'm going to pull the shades. I'm not returning nobody's call. Anxiety, I'm preaching to somebody, will always put you in a place of isolation. And you find yourself singing them old depressing songs. Nobody cares. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. But I guarantee you that Jesus knows. And in order for anxiety to be effective, it must have privacy with you. Come on, somebody. In order for anxiety to really get you, you have to have privacy with it. So he has now put his servant out. Mm. Somebody he really needed. But he was so concerned about his own self mm, that he let the terrorist report get into his spirit. And he ends up leaving out the people that he needed a prayer partner. He needed somebody to come along and paraclete with him. And that's what anxiety will do. It'll make you cut everybody off. What's their problem? I don't know. They won't return my call. What's their problem? I don't know. They're giving me the stink eye. What's their problem? I don't. They have cut people off. And he leaves his servant at Beersheba and he goes out a little further to the wilderness. Look at verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Somebody say a day's journey. And he came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, it is enough now, O oh Lord. Take my life, for I am not better than my father's. He says, let me just die. I don't, I, I don't want to see what's coming. Uh, uh, let me just die so I don't have to witness my own death. She's going to kill me, God. She's going to come in after me. She already sent a word of terrorism to me. And she's going to kill me, so die, let me die so I don't have to deal with that and I don't have to encounter that. But I, I begin to read this passage, Jacob, and I thought to myself, what on earth is going on in the timeline in this verse? I wanted to say, excuse me, Elijah, that don't make any sense because If you really want to die, then just go to her. If you really want to die, then go to Jezebel. Don't just be posting about it. Don't just be emojiing about it. If you really want to die, Woo. then why don't you just run up over there to Jezebel? And he said, it's enough, Lord. Take my life. At least If you really want your life gone, go to Jezebel. I'm not any better than my father's. I'm accepting these generational curses, so go ahead and kill me. Ain't nothing better. I'm just going to be just like them. And the problem that I have with this verse is not so much with him wanting to die. I I can understand that. Oh, I can understand that. But I don't condone it. But I do understand it. Come on, church. It is enough, he says. I've had enough, Lord. Lord Jesus, it's enough. This is too much. I'm preaching to somebody. You've said enough is enough. Take away my life. I can't live like this. Excuse me excuse me there ain't nothing wrong with your life elijah the only thing that happened is that she threatened you everything else in your life is still normal you don't throw away all of your life over anxiety You don't go into a catatonic state and complete depression over someone's threat. But that's not the thing that got me the most. The thing that got me the most about the verse is when it says, He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. It is that day that arrested me. He went a day's journey into the wilderness and said, it's enough. Take my life. Don't do that, Richard. It is the day against the other day. You remember the other day? When the other day was when Jezebel said, by this time, tomorrow. By the time he releases this out of his mouth, the clock had already run out on the threat. The clock had already run out on the threat and he's still running. We about done now. The clock had run out and he's still depressed. He doesn't even notice that the Lord had kept him through the entire duration of the threat. And he doesn't even stop to say thank you for handling the threat. I don't know who I came to preach to tonight, but I come to tell somebody, the threat is over. (laughs) Woo, I felt that. The threat is over. And this is the time of the service that everybody's shouting over something different. Because everybody's threat is something different. But the Lord told me to tell somebody tonight, the threat against you is over. I felt that in my spirit. The threat is over. Oh God, I thank you. Mm. Receive that somebody. You don't have to be anxious for nothing. Take out the weapon of prayer. Take out the weapon of supplication. Take out the weapon of thanksgiving and begin to give God praise because the threat is over. Father, there are people here tonight who I know we've all dealt with some level of anxiety in our life, worried about stuff, that never did come to pass fretting over things that could happen because a messenger some loud mouth some busybody some Tammy talks too much and if your name's Tammy I'm not against you I'm not against you i started listening to them instead of listening to God Somebody run up on you and say, did you hear what they're saying? No, I don't want to hear what they're saying. The devil is alive. I ain't putting that in my spirit. Get on out of here. Take that tongue with you. I don't want to hear nothing about it. (laughs) Because I've learned that ain't nothing going to take the peace of God from me unless I allow it to. And I come to tell somebody, don't you let nobody disturb your peace. Don't you let nobody disturb your peace. I told you on Sunday to put the mute button on. You got to mute the devil. I'm not giving in to the devil's terrorism. And I've just prayed over you tonight. And you may be here tonight and you've imagined every possible negative outcome. That could happen, but I'm telling you, God will abort the devil's plan. I stand here and tell you, the threat is over. (laughs) If you feel that, stand to your feet. If you feel that for you and your family, the threat's over, stand it to your feet. (sighs) He's going to make a way. gonna pull me through he's gonna lift me up out of my enemy's reach y'all <laughs> he's gonna lift me up yes he will set my feet on a solid rock mm, mm. he's gonna lift me up yeah Pick me up, turn it all around. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center.